Hey, Madeline here. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to let you know that since this episode was created, Jess and her husband gave baby A an official name, Autumn Ruth. Congrats to the wolves. If you're totally lost, it'll make more sense in a minute. Enjoy the episode. I can do medical cares. I can change a trach with my eyes closed, but <laughs> ask me to swaddle a newborn and I don't know that I could. Hello, welcome to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and I am thrilled to share with you our first story episode of season three with Jess Wolf, the story of Lily, who was born at 24 weeks after her twin had tragically passed away. But first, it's time for a new question of the month. March's question is, what do you want the world to know about special needs parenting? One more time, what do you want the world to know about special needs parenting? As always, you can answer that on the website, therarelifepodcast.com, or by following me on Instagram at the underscore rare underscore life. I usually give you a chance to answer that via my stories. Jess, her husband, Pat, and Lily live in the Chicago area of the United States. Lily has a twin whom they call A. Two years ago, due to health issues, A passed away at 24 weeks gestation, and a few days later, Lily was born. For my infant loss listeners, check out the show notes for a link to a fantastic podcast dedicated to keeping your baby's memories alive. Due to intubation, Lily has damaged lungs, a health issue fairly common among preemies, but rare among infants in general. After the recording, Jess told me that as she was scrolling through Instagram one day with Lily, Lily saw a picture of Kimball and she thought it was her. And now she gets super excited whenever she sees Kimball on her feed, which I think is so cute. We are determined to meet in real life someday. I was so thrilled to chat with Jess. She was so easy to talk to and we got into the nitty gritty, which is just so beautiful. That is my goal. In this episode... Jess opens up about a particularly devastating time of Lily's 256-day NICU stay when they yet again almost lost her. We also chat about the intense guilt we both feel for the betrayal of our bodies to our children. And we talk about how in the end, our love and best efforts is enough. Jess is a lover of television and cooking. Let's jump right in. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So I'm kind of structuring this interview with a present snapshot and then a little sneak into the past. And then we're going to jump into the future just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going with this. So let's start with the present. I would love a snapshot of Lily and just what she's like and what her medical needs are. Sure. Um, So Lily has changed, grown, developed considerably in the last couple months. Um, We have seen an unbelievable language boom. Um, We've seen a lot more physical development. Just in these last couple months, I don't know what happened, but... 
she has words. So she's signed for quite a while, but she's speaking words and putting two and sometimes three words together or two words and signs together. Really, ever since she started walking, Mm -hmm. she just developmentally has skyrocketed, which is amazing because we spent so long not knowing developmentally what she would look like Mm -hmm. and anticipating a really long and arduous developmental journey toward that quote-unquote catching up that, you know, people expect preemies to be caught up by four. And there was no way in the world that my kid was going to be, you know, remotely on par with her peers. Um, But she just kind of has had these big like spurts of development. So she's getting into everything and she's starting to like imaginary play, which has been amazing. Like she loves dollies and cars and she loves art, like um, finger painting and coloring. And um, yeah, she just has become this toddler in the Mm. last couple months just before my eyes. And it's been so much fun. That is so awesome. I relate so much because it's it's just those milestones they hit are so much sweeter when you've worked so hard for them and you don't take them for granted like these are things you've worked with therapy on and um you know it's just those milestones are such sweet moments and such triumphs for sure for sure for forever every time we changed her diaper it was like incredible and every every time we got to pick her up without six people helping us was incredible mm-hmm. like these little inch stones we call them like these yeah. little yeah. tiny things that so many other people like you said take for granted mm-hmm. um but now we're getting to experience some of those typical things you know right. air quotes like that we just never expected and it's super fun yeah that is amazing so Earlier, you mentioned that when we're kind of off the hook, that Mm -hmm. Lily's biggest uh, medical issue, I guess, is her Mm -hmm. trach. So along with being trached, what else does she deal with medically? So um, her trach now is just kind of a means to an end for nighttime ventilation. So she's able to breathe on her own during the day, which, um, for a very long time, she was ventilated 24 seven. And that was partially what held back her physical development because Mm. she wasn't really able to crawl or walk when she was attached to a six foot cord. Um, but she now is off the ventilator throughout the day and her trach is really there just as a means to ventilate her at night. So as we speak right now, I'm watching her on the monitor and she's hooked up to her ventilator. And she does require oxygen therapy from time to time. So right now she's on oxygen just because it's been really dry in our house. So that kind of comes and goes. The biggest hurdle developmentally while we were in the NICU, because she was intubated for so long, she never took a bottle or learned how to suck, swallow, and breathe. So she does not eat by mouth. um, And that continues to be our biggest area of difficulty. Um, She does not have any desire um, (laughs) to eat 
at all. So she licks the salt off of pretzels and they have to be a very specific pretzel. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's about oh, it. Wow. Yeah. Again, I, that's like Kimball recently has started to progress with eating, but before he had zero interest in table food. I'm like, why not? It's yes. so yummy. Why won't you try it? Yeah. Yes. Like lick it. <laughs> Yes, oh. and I am just like over exaggerating how much I love this apple or this <laughs> chocolate or you know. But we all we we joke. Um, we joked two years ago, and then we joked again this year. If she's eating by next Halloween, we're gonna let her eat every single piece of candy that she gets her hands <laughs> yes. on. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yes. So is she G tube fed then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's G tube fed. So I home blend everything for her. Um, so she has tried everything under the sun and she eats way more healthy than Pat and I do just (laughs) because I can give her amaranth and quinoa (laughs) and chia and all the things that I would never put in my own body (laughs) well there's Um, a perk oh totally yeah and I don't have to hold her down to give her medication and you know all that stuff so um I personally the g-tube is my like secret friend. I really don't have a problem with the G-tube at all. But yeah, so those are her big kind of medical hurdles. Um, Just, you know, we're waiting for lung maturation. Her biggest diagnosis is bronchopulmonary dysplasia, which is just Mm. damaged ventilator lungs from when she was so little. So yeah, those are our, our biggest hurdles. She has some small like secondary diagnoses, but um, nothing that should impact her long-term other than kind of those big ones. Okay. Awesome. Well, okay. So I would love to kind of sneak into your past with Lily, just thinking back about your journey with her and her twin. When you think back about her two years of life, you know, there are those moments that stand out either because they're so awesome or because they're so terrible and hellish. Mm-hmm. What moment comes to mind? Tell us a story. Man, I have like, I've marked our journey by these kind of defining moments, you know, like mm-hmm. the pillars of our, our Nikki stay. Um, yeah. I mean, the day that we had found out that her sister had passed was by far the worst day of my life. Um, But really the biggest and most vivid day for me was the day that, so Lily had a exploratory bowel surgery that was like dire. And we said goodbye to her beforehand and she made it through that. And then she was on high frequency oscillating ventilation. And we yet again had to say goodbye to her and all of these things kept happening and she pulled through and it was amazing. And we got to a hundred days and we thought we were out of the woods. Mm. And on Thanksgiving two years ago, she contracted a staph infection, like antibiotics susceptible staph. And she was within an inch of her life. It was horrible. And we had been there for 100 days already. And we were 
so ready to go home and she was still intubated and she contracted this infection throughout her time we would try to extubate her we would try to take her breathing tube out and see if she could breathe just with the nasal cannula with pressure and um in november we were given it one last try before we talked about other options which ultimately of course led to her trach oh um so she was extubated and they think that upon reintubation she contracted this infection oh and so she was already very vulnerable because she had been breathing on her own and they didn't know for several days whether or not she would respond to antibiotics like whether it was MRSA or oh antibiotics susceptible um and we just I was running on autopilot for so long. She got through these big, horrible milestones and we thought like, we have to be out of the woods by now. You know, yeah. we became comfortable. Pat and I both woke up and like realized where the hell we were and how horrible this was. Yeah. And so instead of being on autopilot, I could just, I could feel every feeling and mm -hmm. I just, I understood the gravity this time that if we had lost her, what that meant. Before that, I just was like, okay, whatever we have to do to get through this. Ah. Yeah. And this time just hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, I remember screaming, crying on the floor of an empty bed space across from her um, while they struggled to ventilate her she was satting in like the 40s um and blue and the back of her throat was white and there were like six people in her bed space and i just it was 100 days like i couldn't i couldn't imagine that this was going to happen again yeah. um and she had a really, really rough, like four or five days, those kinds of days where, um, I called every hour to see how she was doing when we weren't there. We were there for, you know, 12 to 14 hours, but our care team took such great care of us and told us we need to go home. We need to get sleep. We need to eat something. Yeah. And so when we would, we would take turns calling every hour just to see how she was. Um, they finally nailed down exactly what infection she had and the correct antibiotics to give her. And she responded and she rebounded yeah. and it, that day has stuck with me so intensely mm. to this day. What so. was that like to, to find out that they found the cure or to how to help? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I honestly don't even remember. I was so fixated on the fact that she was going to die like my other kid and she was, you know, mm -hmm. and how could I have become complacent? And I, you know, I, I should have known this was coming. I, there were several signs in the days leading up to it. My mom gut was alarming and I didn't mm -hmm. listen to it. And I finally did listen to it. And one of our providers told me I was overreacting. 
and we ended up being very sick. Um, I just, you know, it, it just, I was so fixated on all of the things that were going wrong that I couldn't even tell you when things turned and started going right. I couldn't even tell you what that was like. I don't know. Yeah, that's totally valid. I think it's just such a survival mode. There's just yes. so much. There's so much. And especially for, sure. for your first time being a parent. So I had a typical child first and then I had Kimball. So mm-hmm. I can imagine all of the new parent like <laughs> overwhelm and chaos combined on top of the medical stuff. We both don't know any different. But sure. what was that like to be thrown into that for your first time as a parent? I think it's so funny because so many of our friends that have typical kids are fixated on rashes and temperatures of a (laughs) hundred. And I have spreadsheets of data of hourly stats from when my kid came home. (laughs) Like I, I, I don't mean to, but I, I laugh at them sometimes because I haven't learned what it means to be a parent until probably in the last six months, um, I can take a basal body temperature like it's nobody, you know what I, like Mm -hmm. I can do medical cares, I can change a trach with my eyes closed, (laughs) but ask me to swaddle a newborn and I don't know that I could, you know, (laughs) like you just took on this role of medical parent and regular parenting is like a completely foreign thing, especially like Pat and I talk about having another kid. Right. I don't, what, what does it mean to feed your child? I have no idea. Like <laughs> yeah. I pumped around the clock for Lily and we just fed her through her NG and then eventually her G. Like, I don't know how frequently a kid needs to eat. I don't know, you know, what breastfeeding is like. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Just There are so many parenting things that we didn't get to experience, Um, but I look forward to eventually experiencing them, hopefully. Yeah. Well, you must have read my notes. That is the next question (laughs) going into the future because I was looking through your Instagram account and I saw that you put on there um, infertility as one of your Mm -hmm. like little words to describe yourself. So I'd love to know, what does your future look like to you? Is it full of hope? Is it full of fear? What does that look like for you? It's definitely a mixed bag. We intend to have other children, whether that is biologically, through surrogacy, through adoption. We're not really Mm -hmm. sure. But we have, I've talked a lot with my therapist and Pat and I have talked a lot together and I feel very sure that I, I need to try again. Hmm. So I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. So we um, had to kind of go the fertility treatment route the first time Um that will have to look a little bit different this next time. I used a combination of several different ovulation induction medications, which yielded twins. And we now know that my body can't physically handle twins. Um, So if I were to get pregnant again, and it ended up being multiples, we would have to selectively reduce. So 
do we want to jump right to IVF so that we don't have to do that and only implant one embryo? And then what happens if it doesn't take? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then once I become pregnant, I have to have like a whole blood clotting protocol thing um, because the ultimate reason for A's death and Lily's premature birth was two, at the time, undiagnosed blood clotting disorders. So I have to take daily Lovenox injections and baby aspirin and progesterone and all sorts of other stuff. So getting pregnant will be difficult. Staying pregnant will be difficult. So we kind of have our work cut out for us. Yeah. And then add that on top of all the care that Lily needs. And yeah. Just being a mom on top yes. of all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's got to be really daunting. Do you? It is. <laughs> what other emotions are, are tangled up in there? Um, I mean, I think there's definitely an air of excitement because I, I would love to give Lily a living sibling. <laughs> um, yeah. Her sister will be a part of her story and, you know, woven into our family forever. Um, but I feel very strongly that she needs somebody else physically here with her. Um, and, and again, whether, you know, it's foster and adoption or whatever, she's meant to be a sister to a living child. So we're going to do it. How it gets done, who knows, but that's the plan. Do you feel like, I know it's a, it's a complicated thing, but do you feel like your number one motivation and having another child is for Lily? Um, I think it is equally as much to prove to myself that I can do it. Mm. The week that I was still impatient after Lily was born, I mean, my kid had died. My other kid was dying. And the first thing I talked to Pat about was like, we have to do this again. I have to do this again. I need to know that I can do this. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely for Lily. It's definitely just to complete our family. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also God future kid. When you hear this, I'm sorry, but it's to prove to myself (laughs) that I can do it. So when you say, so you can do it, do you mean like giving birth again? Do you mean going full term? Hopefully to term. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a C-section with the girls. I'm not one for attempting a VBAC. So I will Mm. have a C-section again, which is fine. Um, But I just, I need to know that I can maintain a pregnancy. I can go as close to term for me. I think they're going to induce at 32 weeks regardless. So that'll be my full term. But that's Uh further. That's so much further. (laughs) That's a significant week. Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, I just... I mean, and so many of our physicians, you know, told us stories of parents who spontaneously got pregnant after having a child because your fertility changes and we don't know, you know, we don't know what that looks like. So how amazing would it be if I could just naturally produce a singleton and, you know, (laughs) and carry it for a long time. So, yeah. So do you, when you say you want to prove it to yourself, I just... I hold a lot of guilt for 
mm-hmm. my son's different medical things. Um, and he's, and I'm a carrier for what he has. So it's a little, a little different, but I know that that's yes. a common thing among, you know, special needs parents. Like I gave this to my child and mm-hmm. your face, you could, do you feel like you have guilt for, for what your a body? A thousand percent. Oh. Yes. Okay. Um, when we received the results of A's autopsy and microarray, she was perfect. What failed her was my body. Um, and I'm Lily too. Lily is trached and Lily has all of these complications from prematurity because I could not keep her safe. And I, on a good day, know that it wasn't my fault. You know, just, I'm sure is <laughs> yep. you, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> um, but that feeling will live inside of me forever. Yeah, totally. And it, no. That's, I really, that's so hard. Like I just released an episode as we're recording this, this will be released in the future, but people have responded to me well-meant and saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You created this awesome baby. And I'm like, I know I've attempted to wrap my head around that, but I now have come to terms that I will always feel it as my fault. And that maybe yes. that's okay to just be at peace with that terrible, yes. awful feeling, you know? Yes. Yes. I, Again, I, I mean, I've already mentioned that I'm in therapy, but like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of what my therapist and I talk about is sitting with those negative feelings because it is, mm-hmm. it sucks. I feel yes. horrible, <laughs> horrible, but nothing anyone is going to say is going to change my mind. So yeah. if that's how I have to feel a little bit forever, then great. Mm-hmm. It just is, it is what it is. And mm-hmm. my body sucked. <laughs> It still sucks, yeah. it's just, you know? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like stupid body. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, I mean, there's like the flip side too, where it's like, it also created these awesome kids that we love, but it is, it's exactly it's this strong instinctual desire to keep our children safe. And so to feel betrayed by your body is just the worst thing ever. Yes. Yes. I remember in the NICU hugging the isolate one day in just this like fog of like, PTSD, NICU parent craziness, hugging the isolate and like thanking it for like being her womb because I couldn't do it. Like that is so indicative of like the betrayal I felt toward my own body. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I needed to do what I needed to do. Yeah. No, and it's true. It's like that is such a like we need to process those feelings and own them, Mm -hmm. even if they're terrible hard, yeah. heavy things. Um, sure. just like your grief for a, yes, you know, where that's a for really sure. special bond that you have with her. Yeah. Yeah. It took a really long time for me, us, Pat and I to even like acknowledge her death and mm. process it. And we were just in such like a constant state of crisis with all of Lily's medical needs that Um, it really was a good 18 months after the girls were born that we were able to start processing, which was only six months ago. Yeah. I was going to say that's pretty recent. Yeah. Wow. How does your, your grief for your daughter, A, how -hmm. does that play off of your love and, um, your relationship with Lily? (laughs) 
I think everything is kind of met with this bittersweet emotion, right? Mm. I saw Lily take her first steps and it was one of the most joyful moments of my life. But there's always in the back of my mind, this just twinge of pain that there should be two of them taking their first steps. Mm. And even just in the everyday kind of mundane, like today, I laid out butcher paper on our um coffee table and Lily was like scribbling away and just talking to herself and I Mm. sat there thinking like she should be talking to her sister right now and while I love watching every single thing that this kid does there will always be just that little voice in my head saying like well there should be two of them so kind of walking that every day has you know it's good days and and bad like there are days where I can feel more love and joy and thankfulness and there are days where I just want to crawl into a hole but I think those are sentiments that most grieving parents have so yeah yeah totally and then to combine that with the the guilt of like feeling Mm -hmm. that the weight on yourself for sure probably so heavy it is, but it's also motivating to do what I can to make Lily the best that she can be yeah. um, because she is living for two. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, we have to find a way to rationalize this, you know, because yeah. it's awful. No one should lose a child. Um so we do what we can to not make it hurt so much every day. So Yeah. Yeah. As a wrap-up question, if you could go back in time and give yourself a little bit of prep, like a little pep talk to yourself, maybe a week before you found out A had died and you mm-hmm. started the whole, you know, this whole journey, what would you tell yourself? I, I guess I would tell myself that um, I will do and have done everything that I felt was right in the moment for my kid. There were times I didn't advocate for a specific treatment or I didn't ask for an alternative steroid or, you know, I didn't, um, investigate and uncover every stone Mm -hmm. and I hold a lot of guilt. Sometimes at night I sit up and just kind of perseverate on these things that could have gone differently if I had done Mm -hmm. X, Y, or Z. And in the moment I did what I could for my kid and what was best for my kid. And I would tell myself that I deserve a little bit of grace in that and to not be as hard on myself as I classically have been forever because this is uncharted territory and no one knows how they're going to react in this just deep state of crisis. And I did what I could. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful place to be where, you know, that you did what you could, that that love mm-hmm. you have for your child is what you need. 
And exactly. even though we make mistakes, but it's like, that's what they need is just our best. Yes. I, I felt for so long that as her best advocate and as the person who knows her medically, developmentally, emotionally better than anyone else, that all of that decision-making, the weight of those, those decisions were solely on me. But I was part of a team. I was part of a physician team. I was part of a family team. And it didn't have to always be my burden to carry. And I, I just, I put a lot of onus on myself to make those decisions or to go home and read this article or skim through this medical journal on, you know, they talked about this topic that day and go back with my list of questions. I didn't have to be a pseudo physician to prove that I needed my kid to live. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like you are still capable of taking care of her without the pseudo physician position. Yes. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Our conversations have really resonated with me and I really appreciate you're opening up and sharing these really personal things. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy that we got to do this together. You can follow Jess at Lily's Little Lungs for adorable photos of Lily and more real talk from Jess. You can also follow me at the underscore rare underscore life for updates as episodes are released. Join us next week for Jess's special topic episode, a fantastic one about the hugely positive force that social media can have in our lives as special needs parents. See you then.